1: where we talk each week about the transformations that can come from loss. Today I'm welcoming Suzanne Finamore. Suzanne was born in Los Angeles and raised in the San Francisco Bay Area. She graduated from UC Berkeley in 1982 with a degree in English literature. She's published four books and has been translated into 20 languages. Her debut novel was a Barnes and Noble Discover New Author selection. Her second book was a Washington Post Book of the Year in 2002. Her work has appeared in the New York Times, New York Magazine, Mademoiselle, Glamour, Marin Magazine, Poetry Now, the San Francisco Chronicle, USA Today, and has been included on several Oprah reading lists. She lives with her very last husband, Tom, and their two little dogs, my disappearing mother a memoir of magic and loss in the country of dementia, began as a column in the New York Times. Dementia is a place where my mother lives. It is not who she is, which ran on Mother's Day 2022. Welcome, Suzanne. Hi, Cheryl. I'm so glad to be here. So glad to have you. And I just want to say right off the bat, that subtitle of your book, A Memoir of Magic and Loss in the Country of Dementia, really touched me because I've worked with people, known people, encountered much, much about dementia. And that's just such a a helpful idea of it as a country. And also that there can be magic as well as loss. So thank you for that. I really, I really appreciate it. So why don't you tell the listeners a little bit about um the writing of the book obviously we know why you're writing it because your mother is living in that country mm-hmm. I think there's probably more to the story so could you share something about how you came to to craft the book
2: well you know I have a long history of writing my way out of situations or attempting to write my way out of situations or at least turning to my writing as a as sort of a safe place and a healing space. So when we first moved back to be near my parents, my mother and my stepfather, um, it was really difficult because things were, I mean, you can imagine how things are with a parent who's struggling with dementia, but there's imagining and then there's being in the presence. And, you know, my stepfather who's you know in his seventies, um really he was using all of his energy just to just to take care of my mom. and so my husband Tom and I came back and we we really we really began by helping her primary caregiver, which is my stepfather Ron he by the way, he's been my stepfather for fifty three years, so I just recently started calling him Dad. <laughs>
1: you know i i noticed that in the book honestly that that the the um thin line between stepfather and father like he has been a father to you that's absolutely
2: so cool. yeah absolutely um so but it was pretty grim you know and um i also didn't really know anything about dementia I had no idea of what what the real situation was until we arrived and now we've been back for 6 years and things are dramatically better at my parents' house. You know, we go over a lot and we help like I said primarily we're helping the caregiver because the caregiver is the one you know that really needs the support during these times and um so it's been a real privilege to do that. but i I knew right away that I was gonna have to write about it that there were things about it that I found interesting slash horrifying or <laughs> horrifying slash interesting. you know, like there was it was there was two opposites always working. and um i I started writing things down. And then um, when COVID hit, then I really put the pedal to the metal because then there really wasn't a lot to do other than help my parents and write. And so I did that. I wanted to I had a very clear vision of what I might be able to create, which is what I think of as kind of a versus a sort of self-help book you know written by a doctor or um that that i wanted to write um my the daughter the daughter's version or the son's version of the people who have to visit dementia and by the way i right away started framing it like that um that whenever i cross whenever I drive to their home in Hayward, California from my home in Oakland, I'm really traveling to dementia and you don't, and it's different every time you don't know what you're going to find. And, um, I just started looking for coping skills. And one of the coping skills was to, um, make a, a boundary between dementia and the rest of the world. Later on, I discovered that those boundaries are fluid and that my mother is in life, regular life at the same time she's living in dementia and that there's all kinds of crossover. So yeah, it, it definitely helped me. And, uh, I wanted to write sort of a guide book, but I also wanted to write a literary memoir that people would enjoy hopefully reading or would get something out of it beyond just the facts that I present. You know, in the same way that um, Joan Didion wrote The Year of Magical Thinking, you know, or, you know, something, I mean, I'm not comparing myself to Joan Didion, but maybe I just did. Um, and with me. <laughs> no, I wanted it to be good. I wanted it to be a good book as well as a, helpful slash cathartic book you know and i put everything i had into it and i composed an essay to sort of kick off because it's really hard to get published these days i don't know if you know this but it is so difficult this is my fourth book and by far it is has been the hardest one to get published so i thought well i have to have a high profile piece in a magazine so that I can maybe get some attention of some editors or at least some attention of people and just send up a test balloon to see like if what I was writing resonated with others in the same boat. And so I was able, so lucky to get uh, a column, an op-ed opinion editorial column in the New York Times that ran on Mother's Day. And I mean to me that's the magic right there. That's some magic right there.
1: It is. You know, I I have a personal, I read all kinds of grief books. You could guess, right? I have a personal preference for a deeply told personal story. hmm Which of course is memoir, usually, you know. Yes, right. Hopefully. Fiction sometimes, fiction sometimes. And um Because it's the specific becomes the universal, I guess, for me. Yes,
2: absolutely.
1: And there was so much in, uh, there's so many things that touched me in your book, including what makes a relationship, right? If if the, uh, I'm remembering when my wife was um, very sick and she was, um, I think it was Ativan she was on for a period of time, and for her, It created a dementia like experience. And I knew that we were interacting, but the next day she wouldn't remember it. Yes. And and I got to thinking, okay, well, then why am I doing what I'm doing? Right? (laughs) A a
2: prosody, usually. Yeah, you have to let go of that model, right?
1: Completely let go of it. And I realized over time that I could do that and I think you did too. Yes. You could just be with a person in the moment, Mm -hmm. fine, as long as it wasn't being compared to a situation in which you'd talk about it the next day or a year from then, or Mm -hmm. that's what you activated in me, that memory. Is that something like what you experienced?
2: Oh, yes. And the interactions that I was able to have with my mother, Bunny, my mother's name is Bunny, um, with the interactions I was able to have with my mom six years ago are are very different than the ones I'm able to have now. I mean, uh, you know, she used to show up and we could have a conversation on, on one of her good days. If it was a good day in dementia, if the weather conditions were extremely, favorable i could have like a 10 minute conversation with my mother now i can't do that anymore but i knew in the moment every time i talked to my real mom quote unquote um that that was an enormous gift that i was being handed like a million dollar gift basket of emotional goodness um And each time was like a miracle. Each time that she would kind of come into focus was a miracle. And I would get overjoyed. And I really knew it. And it's nice to be to know that you're in the moment of, wow, I'm really lucky that this is happening. And you know that you're lucky. You're not mourning over, but will it ever happen again? Or, gee, but it's not like the old conversations. No, 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 no. You know, you take it for what it is and you say, wow, what a glorious gift, you know? And I got a lot of those over, over time. My mom now has been in hospice for a year and uh, her body's holding up. But of course, her dementia is far, far advanced. She still knows me. I'm very grateful for that. So now the gift that I get when I visit is the gift of her just knowing me, just the fact that she knows me. hmm
1: so the the um the language translation, if we talk about visiting another country, right?
0: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
1: Learn the language, but the language keeps evolving and changing.
0: yes,
2: kind of keep up, huh? Let's yeah, you it. have to keep or it's only you have to keep up, but it's kind of like you're keeping down. You're keeping up, but you're keeping but you, you're keeping up with the progress. But, you know, there's only one direction at this time in our medical world that dementia goes in, it only goes downhill, you know? So you keep up with the fact that it's gonna to continue to go downhill. Yes,
1: and also, and of course, I this is familiar, my, my wife had cancer, very different thing. Mm-hmm. Sorry but It, that. it went um, down, then a little up, then down, then a little, up. this- Yes, yeah, exactly. Or, uh describing about you don't know exactly what's available on a given day is really mm-hmm. would you share a little bit from the book maybe the uh some of the preface
2: oh I'd be happy to. All right so this is the preface let's see I'm going to shut these down give me one second okay so this is the preface in the book. Six years ago, my husband and I moved 2,000 miles to be near my stepfather and my mother, Bunny, who is now entering the seventh stage of dementia. There is no eighth stage. As the months passed, I began to think of dementia as a real place where beloved and ancient queens and kings retire, a place where linear time doesn't exist and the rules of society are laid aside. Whenever I go to my parents' double-wide mobile home in Hayward, California, I am really traveling to dementia. Seen this way, I allow for magic to happen and for there to be a boundary between myself and the slippery slope of despair. I acknowledge another world about which I know nothing. I assume nothing other than her presence in a different land and her agency within its boundaries. Each time I go, it's different. I've learned to set expectations aside, like an umbrella on a sunny day. There are precious few conversations about dementia, even though many of us will cross its borders. There is stigma, there is shame, there is great fear, there is cultural taboo. We turn our back on it and pretend it isn't there, an outland which the healthy feel entitled to shun. We avoid, we minimize, we catastrophize. We make jokes whistling past the graveyard. Most families, like mine, have not the funds for a memory facility. We build our own and we fashion a makeshift way station out of devotion. It can be harrowing, it can be surreal. A A replica planet hovering above our own, mysterious, unfathomable, A quixotic land full of resurrection and common miracles. Monsters and hallucinations live there. Lost gallops through its streets. But where my mother goes, I go. As a coping mechanism, I began an inventory of observations. I picked up stray gems I came across in the ruins. The smaller, the better. I began to actively search for morality insights, for mortality insights. The gifts we are meant to find are reward for not turning away. As I helped my stepfather clear their house of excess, I found unexpected clues to my mother's past, to my ancestors in Puerto Rico, a fossil record of the Boricua who made me. Like all who travel, I was enriched.
1: You know, we really can't divide our context like your context of your mom coming from Puerto Rico and, and all the experiences and losses she had in her life and, um, her substantial, um, relationship to magic. Yes. From, from how you then faced this with her. I, I couldn't, I couldn't divide them if I tried. And to me, that's quite beautiful like you're you're a culture of one right yeah her her experiences your experiences the countries um all of that couldn't be divided up could it
2: no um i and and what i think what you're referring is that my mother bunny was a professional clairvoyant for many years and she used to give readings out of the front office of their of their mobile home and she was really popular she was booked in advance people were coming from los angeles and and arizona to give to get a reading from my mom my mom was a very intuitive woman and she came from you know a long line of women who believed in the unseen world and who believed in um other dimensions and certainly that you know that there was a veil that could be seen through between this life and and the afterlife and other things so yeah
1: i want to talk more about that but it's time for our first break so um we will come back to the the magic of your mother and how that intersects with how you approached her uh, her dementia, or how you still do actually. Um, listeners, you can find links to my website and social media at the Good Grief page. You can follow me on Instagram, you know, Facebook, Twitter, everything. And to find, uh, to find Suzanne Finnamore, it's F I N N A M O R E, go to SuzanneFinnamore.net. Be back soon.
0: Voice America at Facebook.com forward slash for juicy updates from your favorite radio shows and podcasts.
1: This is Good Grief host Cheryl Jones. Whether you're in grief, crisis, deep loss, or transition, working with the right therapist can move you forward like nothing else. That's why I'm happy to be sponsoring BetterHelp. Their user-friendly platform connects you with a therapist uniquely suited to support you. If you want to know more, follow the link on my host page or go to betterhelp.com slash goodgrief. That's betterhelp.com slash goodgrief and receive a 10% discount for the first month.
0: Resiliency Within can be heard every Monday at 1 p.m. Pacific Time and 4 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health & Wellness Channel. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. You are listening to Good Grief with Cheryl Jones. To reach Cheryl or her guest today, please call 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to Cheryl Jones at weatheringgrief.com. Now, back to Good Grief.
1: Welcome back. This is your host, Cheryl Jones, and I've been talking with Suzanne Finnamore about her upcoming book, My Disappearing Mother. And before the break, Suzanne, we were talking about the magic of your mother and how that informs, probably did inform how you ended up approaching dementia. Um, But you were telling me on the break that you've you've actually, she was a tarot reader. Um, I thought it was fascinating that she said, at some point you said in the book that she um, didn't feel the cards were necessary, but the people who came. you did. I love that. <laughs> but yeah, you've kind of absorbed some of that or or uh, it, it's in you and comes out. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, for sure. Well,
1: so that's part of the magic. I, I remember after my wife died, um, she was she was a black woman from Mississippi. Um, you know, made the best pot of something ever, you know, all those, all those um, Cajun foods. And Mm -hmm. after, for a while, I was able to cook them. Oh, obviously is not my tradition, but people whose tradition it was ate it and said, (laughs) it tastes right. And I didn't feel I had cooked it, actually.
2: Yes, I know exactly what you mean. It's like when I give a when I give a tarot reading now. Um, I don't feel like I'm doing the reading. I feel like my mother's doing the reading, and that I'm getting her information. You know, but she did teach me um, how to read tarot as a girl. So it's just something in our family. She she
1: appears to have known that you could do it.
2: Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I
1: always teach you something else. <laughs>
2: She knew it. She knew I could do it. And, uh, you know, my mother, she just believed in magic of all kinds. And, uh, you know, when I was young in my 20s and 30s, I, you know, was working in advertising as a copywriter, but I really wanted to publish a book. I I always wanted to be a writer ever since I was little. Um, And uh, my mother would say, oh, it's going to happen. It's your destiny. She would just be very calm about it. She's like, it'll happen. It's your destiny. Just keep moving forward. You know, and it did. So the
1: best thing a child can hear, in my opinion. Yes. yes. I
2: she worked hard about
1: myself means. when things didn't look like they were with my own children, didn't quite look like they were going to come out. I would just, you know, hold the faith that they were.
2: Exactly. <laughs> the keeper of the faith. That's what mothers mm-hmm at their best are are doing for us you know and I try to do that too
1: one thing that stood out about your mom in the book is um that she was a person who experienced a lot of trauma in her life oh yes a lot of trauma
2: and yet she's kind of indefatigable isn't she she's unbelievable she's She's the strongest person I've ever known, but also she could, she had an ability to like flip the narrative. So she was born in Puerto Rico during the height of the depression. And her mother was like, I don't know, 17, 18. And her father uh, was also quite young. And so her mother actually gave my mother up. And then when, when she traveled, she was able to go to New York with my abuelita, my great grandmother. And um, and then her father did not, her biological father did not acknowledge her until she was an adult. So in a way she was given up by both her parents. And the fact that she was able to thrive without bitterness is a real lesson in my life too, of like, well, it's what you make it. and. You have personal power that can override a lot of things that happen to you.
1: It's it's it intersects with part of the idea of, of this show, which is that there's grief, and there's also the human capacity to make something out of it. Correct. Yes. Exactly. You are uh, in a in a very
2: magical, beautiful way. Right it's almost like a it's almost like i told myself i can do this i can i can share the good the bad and the ugly and somehow i can provide some hope you know where none really exists or very little hope exists and i thought so i could make a difference
1: and and that's completely true it's kind of like getting a guidebook when you go to paris or something yeah <laughs> Obviously, I know. Comparison, I but, you know, if someone says you should really check out Blank, especially yeah. off the beaten path, you kind of listen, right?
2: <laughs> yeah, because they've been, yeah, I wanted, because I felt really alone. I thought, am I, I said, I know I'm not the only daughter going through this. And yet I don't see it talked about a lot in the media. I, I know that I have friends or, or none of my close friends were going through the same thing I was going through. And so I felt really alone and I didn't want other daughters and sons and spouses of dementia to feel so alone. I thought, well, maybe if maybe a book will help them feel less alone, you know, and, and just that, just that.
1: As if there's a, a, a special dehumanization of people with dementia and maybe because our culture is so brain oriented so mm-hmm. oriented and so youth oriented and so youth oriented so there's almost a way in which um when people are diagnosed with dementia people start treating them as if they're dead
2: yeah or and, they just or they just disappear you know yeah. out of fear out of ignorance they just disappear and that's common as well.
1: Maybe out of out of um buying the narrative. I, I feel your your book is uh, wonderful at dispelling the narrative. Because the,
2: so. the place is not the way it really is, is it? Uh, no, the, it's the, it's it's just a it's a difficult terrain, but it's not the end of the world. And you know, um the person is like I wanted to make sure that that my mom was remembered not for her dementia, but for her life. And um, this was a way to do that. I mean, so my mother has always, my whole life wanted me to, she, says, you sh-, she goes, Susie, you should write a book about our family. It's so fascinating. I said, yeah, yeah, mom, I will. And I was like, put her off, put her off. And then finally this, so this is the book she wanted me to write. And there's so a, it's, it's just a, kind of shocking that she, she kept saying there you're going to write a book about the family. It's going to be really great. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, mom, sure. You know, but, and, and then it actually happens within her lifetime. I find that it's like her last prediction coming true, you know?
1: Yes. Maybe that's a good, uh, a good time for you to share a little more of the book. Maybe the section of,
2: uh, called the city of angels. Oh, yes. City of Angels, they moved to Los Angeles in the 40s, my great-grandmother Abuelita and her five surviving children and their children. My mother went to Van Van Nuys High School, home of the movie stars she would love all her life. Natalie Wood graduated just behind her, a woman who played a Puerto Rican on the big screen in West Side Story. My mother played one in real life, one day, Ferdinand, that's my mother's adopted father. One day, Ferdinand's car broke down on the highway. A driver stopped, and they rushed forward gratefully in the summer heat. He waited until they were close, then spat in their faces, calling them dirty spicks as he sped away. And my mother was 10. In Spanish, there is a perfect expression, nidia ni nidia ya which means not from here, not from there. It's the national motto of dementia. Often now, my mother completely loses touch. She always shifts back and I'm always deeply relieved as though this is happening to me, as though I am not separate, was never born and therefore need her here always, my host. Still, she travels an invisible suitcase always at her side, a citizen of the wind. It's just so much
1: in that, in that short segment, but so much sharing of the experience of being othered and, Mm
2: -hmm.
1: you know, the, the, um, the pain, but, but more.
2: The survival. 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 In other words, this is happening to her, and she's at a very formative age, and yet she's still able to rise above that. And like I said, she's gonna thrive without bitterness. She's the most upbeat person, really.
1: I'm thinking about um the the work that's being done on on generational trauma.
0: Mm-hmm
1: these days, and how uh, it gets passed in our DNA. I me- I thought of it because of you saying you weren't separable from her, that, that those experiences, although they didn't happen to you, I'm sure you had your own.
2: Set of experiences. Oh, yeah, certainly. Being a uh, brown girl was not easy for a long time. It's getting, I guess, a little easier now.
1: Yes and no, I guess. Right. <laughs> Tough time in the world that way, but that it's kind of part of your skin or I I don't know which part of the body to refer to, but it's part of you, not Mm -hmm. just her. Is that how you see it as well?
2: Oh, yes, it is. It's part of me. But I had, um, you know, I had a benefit that she didn't have, which is I had a mother who loved me deeply from the moment I was conceived And um, so that, you know, that, that was sort of my superpower is knowing that I was loved and my mother always told me I could do anything, anything I wanted. And, and, you know, she was just a great mom, you know, and, and so, yeah, I mean, it's a double-edged sword because the better your mother is, the more you miss her or the better, the better the loved one is who passes or is, you know in hospice then the more you miss them you know yes
1: i find for myself it's a it's a pain without without regret though yes (laughs) you know if you if you love someone deeply and fully and their body quits in some way
0: Mm -hmm.
1: uh, that love is not altered um whereas I know you wrote a book about divorce. That's a different kind of loss. In divorce, there's always betrayal of one kind or another, and there's usually regret, right? I don't hear any regret in you.
2: I don't have any regret, you know, and and interestingly enough, you know, we had a kind of a tumultuous divorce, uh, my first husband and I, but now we're really good friends again. Um, Because I just got, I just decided I didn't want to carry that I didn't want to carry the resentment. I didn't want to carry the grudge anymore. Mm. I didn't have time for it. You know, and we share a son together. So, you know, I wanted him to know that his parents are united as well.
1: I think there's something there I've been thinking lately, not for the first time, but it's been coming back up, that everybody's life story uh, could be told from the angle of loss. Oh, for Sure. And so the ways in which you might have been better prepared for this loss, because of having taken a big dive into that loss, I can't know, maybe you do. But I do think every loss, I know I was very different when my parents died, because of the loss of my partner. Yes. I, I can't know how I would have been, but I know I was very different.
2: Yeah, each loss prepares you for the next loss. And life is all about loss. I mean, and that can be a tragic statement or it can just be a statement, you know.
1: Do you think there's something in the traditions that your mom grew up with that that's a little easier with death than we
2: are around here? Uh, um, definitely easier with the idea that the relationship that you have with your loved one doesn't end when they die. And my mother in the book, I, I describe that scene where she tells, I say, oh, this is great, mom. Now that we're divorced, you know, I never have to deal with this person again. She was like, oh, no, the relationship will go on. <laughs> I was like, gee, thanks, mom. Thanks for the good news.
1: Not a, not a right,
2: of course you know?
1: time, huh? <laughs> he was but- right. I, I have spent a lot of time with people from from cultures um, more ancestral, mm-hmm. uh, with a greater sense of connection to ancestral um, aspects, and it it really helps. To oh, it
2: really helps. And there were places in the book where I could feel or I could sense my ancestors coming in they they wanted in the book they wanted in and I actually found a picture of my my mother's adopted mother she was adopted by a wonderful couple who were actually related to her biological father this is very puerto rican by the way and <laughs> uh and and my grandma the woman i think of as my grandma sarah she's oh the whole thing was oh she could never have children but then as I was researching the book and going through my mother's archives I found a picture of a baby that my grandma Sarah actually had who died Mm. and so then that baby makes it into the book you know and and on the back of the picture there was a name so I was able to say the name in the book and feel that oh that 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 spirit lives again now, you know, and is listening. You know, it, it happened a lot, you know, where um, just
1: that is that is probably why all yeah. the your book are so alive to me. Oh. You may have just described it. Um, whether living dead here, not you know, there's a there's a, a an alive quality to all the people
2: yeah and that in dementia of course so you know when my mother sees pictures of her ex-husband my dad who died in 1979 she's like oh where's dick where is he i'm like he's fine mom you know and it's just like there's the and and it was true it's true in dementia that people are reborn like lazarus you know suddenly my dad's alive again and we're talking about him and it was actually really nice to talk about my dad in the present tense. Mm. Um, things like that happening uh, were were very good for me and were, you know, illuminating for me.
1: We're going to take another break, but when we come back, I'd really like to talk about that aspect of, of um, being in relationship to someone with dementia where you have to stop being so attached to the way you look at reality yes otherwise you make that person miserably unhappy yeah
2: and yourself yeah exactly
1: reminding her for instance that your father's dead (laughs) then your father's
2: why would i do that (laughs) (laughs) i'm enjoying him having a renaissance
1: yes exactly but i think a lot of people have a hard time with that and i want to talk about it when we get back okay Listeners, again, you can go to my website, weatheringgrief.com or the Good Grief Host page. And just to find Suzanne Finnamore, go to suzannefinnemore.net Back soon.
0: Voice America is on LinkedIn. Connect with us today.
1: This is Good Grief host, Cheryl Jones. Whether you're in grief, crisis, deep loss, or transition, working with the right therapist can move you forward like nothing else. That's why I'm happy to be sponsoring BetterHelp. Their user-friendly platform connects you with a therapist uniquely suited to support you. If you want to know more, follow the link on my host page or go to BetterHelp.com goodgrief That's BetterHelp.com. Dot com slash good grief and receive a ten percent discount for the first
2: month.
1: Welcome back. I've been talking with Suzanne Finamore, the author of *My Disappearing Mother*, and um, before the break, I was I was uh, just starting a conversation with you about the difficulty a lot of people have, but it doesn't feel as if you had as substantial a difficulty letting go of of linear, linear reality. I guess I'd say you know the the facts of the matter. Who's dead? Who's right. alive? You know, um, as soon as people surrender, I've noticed to just joining the other person's reality, mm-hmm. uh, it's such a relief. But getting for there, everyone. yeah, is kind of hard for a lot of people. So, can, do you have some words of wisdom about that that we can share with people that are listening?
2: Well, I I, I have to admit I, I I had an easy time of that because. <laughs> When your mother's a clairvoyant, you know, you're always dealing with other realities. And it's not just my mom. It's like all, all of my Puerto Rican family is just like I I say in the book that the veil between the worlds for for our family was so thin that there might have been there might as well been no veil at all. <laughs> you know? So I was always, you know, kind of indoctrinated into that idea that it's more than just what we can see and and hear and touch are real.
1: Maybe the fact is that some people haven't ever, I I know that I was a a little iffy on that when Mm -hmm. my wife got sick and it became undeniable pretty quickly, but there was a transition. Yes. There was a process I had to go through to incorporate a less rational Mm -hmm. that word advised advisedly, a less rational view of, of, um, the universe.
2: Yeah. Yeah. And, And once you do that, then the sky's the limit really, you know?
1: Yeah. And I suppose, you know, obviously, uh, right after someone dies, at some point, uh, you're mostly most people are compelled by feeling the absence. Mm-hmm. I think it's the absence of the body. Um, yes. You know that that interacting on the earth plane kind of thing, that but, whole real
2: life thing. Yeah,
1: <laughs> right. But um, it's fortunately grief, the field of grief. Is no longer so focused on on uh, ending the relationship,
2: after. right? And getting closure, yeah.
1: That is actually brutal. You know, most people cannot do it, mm-hmm. and because they think they're not, they haven't completed their grief enough. Right. right. When the
2: truth is, quite, right. You know, it's gonna. You're gonna live with your grief. You're gonna find ways to live with it. You're never gonna banish it unless you you know, have a lobotomy and, and suddenly you can't remember that you ever knew that person, you know, and it's just another form of love. Really grief is just another form of love in sort of an unattractive form. (laughs) You have to love the ugly, sad, wrenching feelings and say, oh yeah, this is the price for loving and for having been loved. Um, it's the price you pay. Yeah.
1: interesting though it sounds as if your your mom at this point um is is less available
2: yes very much so
1: but she actually widened her world in in the sense of people were right in the room with her that were dead or you know right yes there's there's a whole different reality she's been participating in yes
2: Oh, That's- for sure. Like I could say to my mom, God, you know, I had a, such a real dream about dad last night. And and now that I've woken up, I, I, I'm i still sort of feeling that, but I know he's not here. And my mother would say, oh, yeah, I can feel him. He's right over there next to the stove. <laughs> like this sort of a kitchen brujería, you know, of, like kitchen, you know, simple, simple kinds of sensory differences that my mother had yeah
1: and and i was telling you sometimes at work i'll ask my first wife what should i do next and i always get an answer
0: mm-hmm.
2: of course she's always there she's available to you 24 7. you know she's sort of like i don't know like god or pg e it's like they're just always around you know and i when i go through difficult things now that my mother's gone i can I can talk to her in my head or even out loud and say, mom, what do you think? And I know exactly what her response will be immediately. There's not even a moment of waiting.
1: Do you feel as if, well, I'll, I'll make a statement, then ask a question. My statement is that that feels substantially different for me than remembering what I, her personality and what I can imagine she would say. Mm-hmm. Um, is that true for you? You know, yeah. that's well, she, true, I can imagine, but these yeah. where I ask and I'm answered come from a different place. I don't know how to describe that, but.
2: Maybe it's coming from her higher self, not the self that she was on earth but her higher self who is, doesn't have all the weight of personality and circumstances and body. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll take it wherever I can get it, really.
1: Absolutely. It doesn't really matter. I'm just,
2: you know, curious. Yeah, we're all curious. And none of us gets to know, for none sure. Is. That's the beautiful mystery. We don't get to know. We, we don't get to know how everything turns out until we do, I guess.
1: I think it's a wonderful moment to share uh, a little more from the book, How to Surf, It's this section is called.
2: Oh, yeah. How to Surf. This This came at the, almost the very last chapter in the book. How to Surf. I'm not the same person I was when I entered this country, and neither is anyone else, I suspect. At the start... You're stretched thin and gasping for oxygen, like Tom Hanks in Apollo 13, like Mike TV and Willy Wonka after being put through the taffy puller. You enter the country of dementia and it's wily. You're in darkness. You're in Vietnam. The jungle rises to greet you. It can be lush with insight in the lack of pretense and prettification or dank with dread like a snake infested swamp. You wade in and tack against the tide of death and degeneration. It whips you about, and if you can stand it, after a time, you begin to surf. You begin to rise the waves of deliverance that are coming for your loved one, and the travel changes your form. You go all around to heaven and hell and back again, sometimes in the same day, the same hour, You are heavy with despair yet you are also light somehow light as the spirit your mother has become a whispering thing her spirit loosed about to fly hanging on but barely by a fine thread by a pulse she's given up her body her limbs her intellect her ego she's free now on the cusp and you've gotten to see it the whole thing the process of flight Now you run alongside her, lifting her with your mind and your being as she is a slim kite headed upward. Now you know how, now you know what she knows. She's teaching you to her last breath. And beyond that, her voice in your head, her essence that she deposited day by day, the wisdom she breathed into you, the kiss not of death as you suspected, but the kiss of life. It has come full circle. She ushered you in, you're ushering her out. Grace is all, roundness is all, this single revolution. And you know how it's going to end now. You can see it like the end of a good book, like the end of a fine film, one that seemed dark but isn't. This is the finale you didn't see coming, the grand payoff. This is the happy ending you didn't expect. This is grace. This is the director's cut, the master's cut, the final frame. You thought it would be ugly, but it isn't. It's beautiful.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, that yeah. it's it, it's so
2: moving to me. Thank to you. Me, I me too. I cry every time I read that chapter. <laughs> <laughs>
1: you oh. reliably make me cry I understand. I understand that's
2: the best compliment if somebody cries <laughs> <laughs> absolutely it's terrible isn't it i
1: can't tell you how many thousands of times i've heard people say i'm sorry i'm crying uh-huh. <laughs> and i'll say i'm glad you are yes you're alive you feel things
2: mm-hmm.
1: uh, another hour i'm sure thank you so much for being here i've really enjoyed the conversation thank
2: you cheryl i've really enjoyed talking about my book with you thank you so much for the work you do
1: you're welcome and i hope people will go look for the book it's very more beautiful than we can capture in an hour you can find suzanne Finamore at net. next week i'll have melanie smith to talk about her book This has been Good Grief with Cheryl Jones. I look forward to being with you again next week for another meaningful conversation.
0: Thank you so much for joining us for Good Grief. Please come back next Wednesday at 5 p.m. Eastern Time, 2 p.m. Pacific Time, for another edition featuring your host, Cheryl Jones, on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Have a meaningful week.